All right. You may be seated. Got a few announcements to make. The nursery room is available. If you need to take a little one back there, just Pastor Ben's right over there. You can sit with your kids if you'd like. Um, announcements. Number one, baby bottles. We need baby bottles turned in. Start bringing those in ASA as possible. Um, <laughs> bring those, we need to turn those into CareNet. And uh, if you didn't fill up your bottle, so me, I'll give you a confession. Me and my family, uh, we had big ambitions. I took a bottle, Ellie took a bottle, Ethan took a bottle. And we got them each about one third of the way full. So then we decided, okay, we're going to just combine all three bottles into one. Um, if your bottle's not full, that's okay. You can put a check in there. You can just bring it as it is. It doesn't matter. Whatever you'd like to do, just bring those back so we can turn those in as soon as possible and get that donation given to CareNet. CareNet is a group that helps uh, women, couples, uh, cope with pregnancy to help them choose life rather than abortion. Uh, not only... Uh, once they determine they're having a baby, but even afterwards by providing uh, parenting classes and uh, gently used uh, baby stuff like car seats and carriers and just things that young families will need. Uh, we're pretty excited about CareNet because it's not just about a political stance. It's about actually helping people and loving people and doing something to uh, back up the words and the things that we believe. So CareNet's one of our partners and we love them. And so that's why we do the baby bottle drive every year. Uh, the, let's see, spring kickoff. That is April the 2nd. We are having a chili cookoff. I have, I have a men, a men's judge. Pastor Mike's going to judge, uh, very, very harsh critique. You're going to have to really up your game for him. Joey and Ethan are going to represent our kids. Uh, my understanding is that Joey loves, uh, chili. So he was natural. Yeah. And so you get to help choose who's the winner. I just need a female. I need a woman who can it's conflict of interest. You're already there. So <laughs> Tish, sure. All right. Tish is up. All right, Tish, you're going to be one of the judges. April the 2nd. So here's what we're going to do. It's going to be our goodbye to winter. Hello, spring. Uh, obviously, we waited a few weeks because it's central New York and spring's not here yet. Um, but we'll wait a couple weeks. And that day, it's going to be a potluck. And if you'd like to compete in the chili cook-off, bring your best chili, bring your A game, and uh, we'll set it up. It'll smell amazing in here. And then we'll have uh, our judges judge the chili. And uh, there might be a prize for whoever wins. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but you can, bring, uh, you can bring anything you'd like. You don't just have to bring chili. Uh, you can bring salads and things like that if you'd like. It's just be a fun time for us to get together, have food, and fellowship. That is April the 2nd. So that will be, uh, is that next Sunday? Next Sunday, a week from today, week from today, right after service. Two weeks from today is Palm Sunday. Can you believe it? Seems like it was just the beginning of the year and now we're moving on into April. It's Palm Sunday. We'll have our palm branches and we will celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem uh, to start off that Passion Week of, of his uh, crucifixion. That following Friday is the 14th. That's our Good Friday service here at the chapel, 7 p.m. Uh, be here, we'll celebrate Good Friday. And then that following Sunday is Resurrection Sunday that we will be celebrating the glorious uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's two weeks from today, excuse me, three weeks from today. So mark your calendars, make sure you're ready for that. Invite your friends and family to church and let them know that they are loved by the Lord. Well, that'll be the second, not on Easter. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, right, okay. 
Um, next is the St. Baldrick's fundraiser that we're doing here at the chapel. We are having a head shaving event here at the chapel. And uh, we are raising money to donate to St. Baldrick's, who gives money to research facilities for pediatric cancer. Uh, pediatric cancer gets about roughly 4% of all monies donated to cancer research. And as a result, over the last 20 years, only two new drugs have been developed for kids going through cancer. And so uh, if you'd like to donate, let me know. I can get you involved. I'm going to shave my head on, uh, on that event. Ethan's going to do so as well. Joey signed up. He's going to shave his head. Pastor Ben's going to shave his head. And we're looking for more people to shave heads, raise money, and to give. If you want to be a part of that in any capacity, you just let me know. Um, we had to change the date to May the 7th. That's the first weekend in May. Sunday, May the 7th, right after service. We're going to shave heads, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you could be here, be here. If you can support us, let us know, and we'll have a, uh, a good time. Julie Soph, she's right there. Oh, okay. Okay, that's the last announcement. Uh... I don't know when the next gal service is. Let, uh, you have to hit up Lucy on Facebook for that. Um, the 4th? Is it the 4th? The 4th? I thought somebody was saying, may the 4th be with you. <laughs> so the next gals is the 4th? April 4th is the next gal service here at the church, 7 p.m.? Yes. Okay. And Wednesdays at the Kessler's here at the chapel. Kessler's 6 p.m. here, 7 p.m. And that's it for our announcements. Let's have a couple of ushers come forward. Today's communion Sunday. We're going to take communion right after church or right after the message. So be prepared for that. Get your hearts ready. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit today. Let's pray. And then kids, you can go back to Children's Church after we take up offering. Lord God, take this offering today and use it for your glory. Uh, whether it's to pay for the lights or to pay for improvements or whatever, whatever is needed here at the chapel, Lord, we're praying that more and more people would know Jesus. That ultimately, whether it's the lights or improvements or whatever, the end game is people knowing that they are loved by Jesus through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That your grace extends to all, that you have done everything possible to forgive your people, to be reconciled to them. I pray today, Lord, that you would use these for your glory, that for those who give today, that you would bless them abundantly. For those who cannot give today, may you bless them abundantly as well. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids, you can go back. <clears throat> All right. Um, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. And as you turn there, I want, to, um, I want to share a parable with you that Jesus shared uh, because I think it directly ties into our message this morning. First, let's all take a deep breath. It's been a long week. Got a lot of stuff we went through. Got a big week ahead of us, right? I mean, even if you're just going to work, you're just raising the kids, doing what you got to do, it's going to be a big week. Tax season's coming up or the tax deadline's coming up. A lot of you got stuff on your mind. But let's take a moment to empty ourselves of all those things and let ourselves only focus on Jesus this morning. Let us focus on him, the message, the truth that he is, because Jesus said it's the truth that will set you free, the truth about him, the truth of the gospel. And I don't know about you, but I don't like being in bondage. I like being set free. I like being, I like being liberated. I like being free to worship Jesus, amen? So this parable is called the parable of the talents, and you might be familiar with it. It's a pretty well-known parable. 
In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is describing to his church, or to his disciples rather, the kingdom of God. And what you have to understand about the parables that Jesus taught with is that he's trying to use earthly examples to explain to us something that is not earthly. He's using finite or limited examples to explain to us something that's unlimited and infinite. It's, it's like trying to explain to a toddler how a computer works. You're trying to find ways in which they will understand the complexity of something that they, they, they just aren't ready to understand. The kingdom of God is as simplistic as it is and in the explanation of it in the word of God, we have to be giving, given examples like a farmer sowing a seed. We understand that. We have to, uh, we were given the parable of the, the, the woman who loses her, her 10 coins and sweeps her whole house to find them because they were her, her, her treasured possession. They were her dowry and they, they represent, they were like losing her wedding ring. And so to, to just lose her wedding ring and then be flipping about it, that's, that, nobody here would do that. You would scour your house looking for those, uh, that wedding ring or those 10 coins. And Jesus uses these earthly examples to describe to us something that's not earthly, something that's not natural, something that's supernatural. So in Matthew 25 and 14, it says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he, had, uh, who, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set over you much. Enter into the joy of your master. He, he, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his ma master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, been, uh, who has will be given and he, excuse me, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place uh, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Number one, we always like to think of Jesus in the good and the kind and the gentle. We always like to think about him in the loving, gathering the children, you know, sitting down, rubbing the head of a sheep. I mean, we, we always like to think of him in that way, but we never like to think of him in this way. As the good master who once confronted with a servant who is lazy and slothful, deals with them appropriately. 
I'm not here to tell you that one is, is preferred over the other or that one's a better example of Jesus than the other. I'm here to show you that Jesus himself offers you a well-rounded picture of who he is. He is both graceful and merciful, but he is also just. And when Jesus gives out and gives to his people who, uh, for whatever reason, he determines what they uh, can handle. We see here that not everybody was given the same thing. He has expectations for that. And so for the one that was given five, he had expectations. For the one that was given two, he was given expectations. And for the one who was given one, as much as he had less than everybody else, there was expectations on him for what Jesus had given him or what what the master in the parable had given him. And Jesus uses this example to teach us an earthly principle or, or excuse me, a kingdom principle here on earth that we wouldn't otherwise understand without this example. We often use this parable to teach us about money how to handle our money, how to be good stewards. And, and that's a good lesson. And I don't want to replace that lesson. I want to add to that lesson because it's so much more than just the money or the possessions that we have. Now keep that at the forefront of your mind and now turn, or if you already have, uh, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That was our message last week. And and as much as uh, we'd like not to sin, we fall into that trap. And the good news is that, excuse me, even when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father who who, uh, stands in our path or stands in the path of God's wrath so that we might be justified in him. We might have his righteousness uh, imparted to us. And so the good news is that, that we are sinners saved by Jesus and his grace. And so that's very good news to take home today. But verse three is where we're going to focus and, and the rest of these last couple of verses. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pray. Jesus, it is our goal. It is our aim. It's my goal, my aim, to preach your word without adding to it or taking away from it. To let it be what it is. To let it be the roaring lion in our lives, Lord, that not only brings us uh, the grace to be forgiven, but the grace to repent as well. And Lord, may we find you both as the the gentle, loving, kind friend who is just, righteous, and holy. May we see you as you are to be seen, even through a mirror dimly, Lord, may we see you. In Jesus' name, amen. We called this sermon series, The Darkness and the Light, for a couple of reasons. One, it's a major theme that John uses, not only in this book, but in the other letters that he wrote and the other accounts that he wrote down. But also because there's moments like this that are so black and white. So often when we talk about sin, we try to find ways to wiggle out of the importance of it or the gravity of it. We try to justify the reason behind it or, or the magnitude of it. It's not so bad or that sin's really bad and, and I'm not as bad as that person. But John uses these very black and white terms, these very light and dark terms. If you say that you love the Lord, but you sin, liar. Now remember, don't, 
Don't throw out what we learned last week, this, this truth that we have, this advocate, Jesus, on our, on our side. It's the reality of understanding that we are sinners in need of saving. Even as we have given our life to Jesus, we, f- we live this life full of temptation to sin. And without him, we have no hope of overcoming. Many of you have fallen to sin even as professing that you love Jesus. And in this message, it's not a message of condemnation that there's no hope for you, but rather that Jesus is your only hope. That there is indeed great hope for you in the name of Jesus Christ. A lot of folks worry about knowing whether they're, they're right with Jesus, whether they're right with the Lord. And maybe you've even used that terminology about being made right with God. And some folks, we, as much as we might confess and believe and, and go to church and pray and read the word, there's still that, that nagging that I, I don't know if, it, if I done the right thing, if I said the right words, and we want something tangible. It's why so often we, we love church because we can count how many days we went. And we hope that that maybe is, is being added to our resume before we go to see the Lord. That, you know, we went to church faithfully for so many years to the same church and, and uh, our attendance was impeccable or, or we only missed for the, the most dire of circumstances. And we love prayer and having uh, somebody else pray with us because it feels like something's being done especially when it's somebody else praying for us because we assume that maybe they're more spiritual or they got a better resume. So, so, so we, we have something to hold on to or maybe it's a message or maybe it's a book or so. we just want something tangible. And the Bible tells us that none of those things are the proof of whether or not we are saved. See, faith by definition means we don't know until that day comes. See, by faith... We are believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins, conquered sin and death, rose from the grave, ascended to his father, and now intercedes for us. By faith, we trust that his sacrifice is sufficient. But how can we know this? John says, we can know, it says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. How do you feel about the commandments of God. What is your attitude towards them? Do they no longer apply? Are they tedious and hard? Are they arduous? Do you look upon them and tremble and go, man, there's a lot of stuff God requires and I can't do it. Are you like the rich young ruler when Jesus says uh, to him, the, the rich young ruler asks, how do I receive eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And he responds, well, I have. I've kept them since I was a kid. Liar, you haven't kept them since you were a kid. Even in our best days, we still sin. Jesus tells him, go sell everything you have. And there we see a covetous heart. We see a heart that is created an idol out of his stuff. He goes away downtrodden. He goes away with a long face. He goes away sad because he doesn't want to give up all his stuff. Jesus proving to him, ah, you know, You haven't kept all the commandments. How do you view the commandments of God? So often we look to the commandments to either find ways to legalistically uh, give us something tangible. I did this, this, and this, so I am saved. Or we try to just find ways out of them. Oh, that was Old Testament. That's when God was mad. He's all happy now. That was like young 
puberty God in the Old Testament. He was getting stuff together, but now he's perfected some stuff. Or, or, or you know, that doesn't apply to us anymore because, you know, times have changed and culture has changed and that's so uh, irrelevant now. And, and we have science and we have technology. And I find that the more science and technology we get, we just go further into sin. Have you noticed that too? It doesn't, it doesn't alleviate sin or make us better people. It just makes us better at sinning. Think about pornography and what the internet did for that. What was once relegated to shady theaters on the wrong side of town and, and, and brown paper sacks at the liquor store or the convenience store back behind the counter now can be found in the privacy of your own home, click of a mouse button, to the tune of where seven, eight, and nine-year-old kids are now addicted to things like pornography. The internet didn't make pornography or the, or the desire for it go away. It amplified it. It made it worse. It fed the beast and made it bigger. And so to look at our modern culture and say we're so evolved and so much better is really just a laughable defense. If anything, science and technology, which we are not against, by the way, but we are against science and technology being used as an excuse to discard the word of God. I look at the word of God and I see it as timely as ever. It explains the issue with just the issue of pornography and the amplification of the problem. I see that's rooted in the heart of men. Make it easier to access, it becomes more of a problem. The, the hooks go deeper into the heart and that's true for any sin. That's true for, for the sin of, you know, uh, being lazy. That's true for the sin of, you know, uh, adultery and idolatry. It's, it's true for every sin. John says, you can know that you know Jesus, that you have been saved, that you have been transformed, filled with the Holy Spirit by how you view his commandments. Do you view them as irrelevant? Do you see them as timely? I'll admit there are commands. I'm like, man, that seems really harsh. But I walk away going, you know what? But that's the command of the Lord. It's kind of the same mentality I expect my children to have. Man, dad wants me to clean my room? That seems harsh. But he's dad. I'm gonna have to listen to him. Dad wants me to wash the dishes or fill the wood box or do this or do that. I don't want to do it. And it seems like it's gonna be hard, but man, he's my dad. I love him. And, and I, wanna, I wanna please him. I wanna do what he wants me to do. And I know he's not doing anything that's gonna hurt me. I know he's not doing something just to make me do it. He's teaching me, rearing me, disciplining me, all while having me do something as simple as wash dishes or fill the wood box. Now contrast this, what we, what we lose without some kind of extra biblical history here is the teaching of the Gnostics. The Gnostics taught only secret knowledge could be attained by a select few, just a few elite folks. So let's pretend we're a Gnostic church right now. For me as the teacher, I'd be saying, you know, just some of you are gonna get this. A few lucky people. God is going to reveal this to you. And for the rest of you, I hope for the best, but just keep trying. Keep looking for that mystery. Keep, keep doing all that you keep giving, keep serving, keep sacrificing yourself. And maybe one day you'll attain some of this knowledge, but I've got this knowledge. And a few people in the church who just subsequently give the most and uh, I can count on the most and can use the most, they've got that secret knowledge too because it's been imparted to them. See, John's saying, no, no, you can know 
Where, where the Gnostics are telling you only a select few are in the know, you're all in the know because of Jesus. See, this, this opens up this teaching. This opens up these verses. It's not about just knowing for the sake of knowing. It's if anybody were to come to you and say, you know, well, you're just not spiritual enough or Christian enough or Jesus-y enough. You can go back to this verse and say, no, see, I can know. Not because you have approved me, not because I've met your criteria, but because I've met the criteria of the Lord. At the end of the day, that's the only criteria that matters. You can know based on how you view, not how you feel about, but how you view the commandments of God. John says, we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And that word keep is a very simple word in the Greek. It's tareo, and it simply means to observe, to look at, and, and to, to, to um, just ponder, and to uh, contemplate, to, and then to, to do, to give heed to. Think about when you drove here to church today. How many of you saw a red light and stopped? I hope most of you. I hope there's nobody here today who's not here at church because they didn't follow that rule. But you saw that red light and you had to make a decision. At this point in your life, it's probably instinctual. Red light, stop. You don't even think about it. You just do it. Before your mind can fully process what's happening, you've got autopilot on, red light, break. Start slowing down, get up there. Maybe you saw the yellow light and you, do I hit the gas? Do I hit the brake? I don't know. Is there something in front of me? Can I make it? I might have taken a little more time. That command of the red light was there and you tareo, you took heed, you observed and you took heed of that warning, you took heed of that command. It's simple, we, we, we try to complicate God, we try to complicate his commands and his word, but it's very simple. You observe and then you take heed. God says this and then you, okay, I'll do it. God says don't do this, okay, I won't do that. Now, as a disclaimer, we have to understand that there are laws of the Old Testament that have been fulfilled in Jesus. This is why we can do things like eat shellfish and pork. Hallelujah. This is why on Easter, we're gonna eat ham. I always find that very ironic. But we're gonna eat ham. Uh, for those who eat lamb, that's even more weird. But uh, my point is, is through the, old, through the New Testament, we have Jesus uh, pointing out and then fulfilling specific laws of the Old Testament. We have uh, Peter with the vision of the tarp coming down and, and Jesus declaring all foods clean. It's that same cleanliness that declared all foods clean that declared us Gentiles as clean in the name of Jesus. That was the point of that tarp coming down for Peter to know he could go to the Gentiles and teach the gospel or preach the gospel to them. Again, Jesus did the same thing. And so, there are those who look to the Old Testament and then what they do is they just try to pile stuff on top of you to make uh, Christianity so much harder. I read a blog this week and it was just a horrible blog. If, if you followed everything that this person taught, you'd never leave your house. You'd never let anybody touch you. You'd never eat anything. You'd never experience everything or anything because the devil was in everything. And I don't find that teaching in the Bible at all. I find Paul saying things like, if your conscience allows it and you know that meat has been sacrificed to a demon, you can still eat it. Why? Because you know that demon's nothing. He's not really a God. 
So in that marketplace, you might go to some Greek marketplace and they have this pig that's hanging there and it was sacrificed to a God that morning and then now being sold in the market. You could buy it, cook it, eat it and not have your conscience worry about it one bit. Now, if your conscience is like, well, I can't do that, then don't do it. But if your conscience allows, don't worry about it. But there are people who teach today, no, no, you can't eat that. Don't touch that. Don't go near that. Or God won't love you anymore or you won't be saved anymore. Don't find that anywhere in the word. And so I don't want to come off as imposing legalisms going back into any part of the word and saying, look, meet this criteria and then you'll be saved. You are saved because of Jesus today and what the criteria he has met. He has fulfilled the sacrificial law. This is why we don't sacrifice lambs on the Passover every year anymore. Well, if you're really, a, you know, Jesus was a Jew and he celebrated the festivals, you should celebrate the festivals. Paul says, don't let anybody judge you about festivals. You want to celebrate them? Go ahead. They sound like a lot of fun. Set up some tents, have week-long celebrations, new moons and Sabbaths. Don't do any work on the Sabbath. That sounds like a good thing to do. But if you don't want to do that, that's okay. Don't let anybody judge you for that if you don't feel convicted to do those things, well, I think you should. Well, then good, go and do them. I do not think that I have to do that because the word of God doesn't command me to do so. And Jesus is not just the Passover lamb. He's the better sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. We don't have to sacrifice anymore. Praise God that we don't come in every Sunday morning and get our hands bloody with, with the sacrifice of an animal because Jesus has already sacrificed himself. Praise God. I don't know what I'd do if I was born an Old Testament temple priest and had to go in there with blood on your thumb and your toe and your ear and gosh, have you ever had to cut chicken? Like just cutting chicken is like, oh, I gotta wash my hands five times and then I'm bleaching the cutting board. Like I don't want E. coli, like what? My gosh. But that's what God wanted, that's what they did. Praise God for that, we don't have to do it anymore. John 14 and 15, you find this word tereo, you find it frequently in what John records of Jesus teaching as well as what he's teaching. John, uh, Jesus said in John 14 and 15, if you love me, you will keep tereo, observe, take heed of my commandments. I love Jesus, I just don't do anything he says. Jesus said that's an incompatible sentence. It does not work like that. Oh, I just love Jesus, but I don't like his church. Jesus died for his church. I think he likes it a lot. I think he loves his church. I love, I love that Jesus, but I don't like those Christians. Well, sure, some Christians are jerks. They're really hard to love. They go and they say and they do things that are contrary to the word of God, and we're still expected to love them somehow. I think this is what Jesus meant when he said, pray for your enemies. And I would hate to think that anybody in the church is our enemy, but there are times where they set themselves up in their own little camp on the other side of the fence and gah, they're our enemy, we gotta pray for them. Continuing, Jesus says in John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Revelation 1 and 3, again, this is John recording, hearing from the Lord. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So don't let anybody teach you that there's no expectations for you to keep 
the commands of God. What we need to understand, A, is what keep means, and B, what command means. The commands of Jesus are simple. Love your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your spirit, all of your strength. And the second one's like it, love your neighbor. Jesus told his disciples and taught his people that if you will do these two things, all the other law will be accomplished. That if you're truly seeking to fulfill the law, don't look at each letter of the law and say, okay, I've got to do this, 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 and then I'll be saved. Say, you know what? I'm going to first, I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to love him with everything that I have. I'm going to do everything I can to give him myself every minute of the day. And then I'm going to try to love people the way he loved people. Even when the Pharisees came to Jesus, he gave them time. If you believe that time is valuable, and I do believe that time is very valuable, I will probably give you money before I give you time because time can't be given back. I, if, if I give you time and I love people who will thank me, they'll say things like, Pastor Tony, thank you for spending this hour with me and thank your family for letting me have this hour with you because they understand that an hour with them is an hour for my family. And I do so willingly, but understand this, our time is precious. You can only do so much with your, you've only got 24 hours per day to do something. If you're sacrificing time in one place, you're sacrificing it from another place. Even with that truth, Jesus still gave time to his enemies. The Pharisees wanted to kill him. He'd still listen to him. They were plotting how to find, how to trap him they were trying verbal jujitsu to try to get him to say something wrong to trap him and he came out unscathed every time. He didn't just walk away and say, I have no time for you, you heathens. He'd say, okay, I'll play your little game. Let me ask you this. And then he'd ask him even more confounding question. They'd be like, oh, I don't know. Let's go back and talk about this. And then they, then they got to a point where they're like, we're just done asking Jesus questions. Let's just kill him. Like, let's quit trying to make him guilty. Let's just decide he's guilty and kill him. And that's what they did. We believe that when it comes to love, love is just not something we say, it's something that we do. If you love me, keep my commands, Jesus said. If you say that you love me, then you will do something. If you say that you love me, then you will keep my commands. Loving always involves an action. Tell your wife over and over again how much you love her, but do nothing for her. And then come to me later and wonder why your relationship's in so much problem or so much, has so many problems, it's in so much trouble. Now I will tell you because your love is not being expressed in an action. And don't sacrifice one for the other, do both. Say I love you and then do loving things. And the loving things will back up the words that I love you. Look, I love you. And I clean the living room. Hey, he must really love me because he did something that, uh, he did something for me. Hey, I got gas in your car. Hey, I did this, I did that. And ladies, if your husband's doing those things, praise the Lord every day for that because there are women out there who long for that, who wish they had a husband who would serve them in that way. Don't increase the, the, uh, the criteria. That they, just it, rejoice in what they've done for you. And thank them for doing that. And vice versa, men, if, if, if your wife is doing that for you, man, 
oh, you're a blessed man. You are, you are highly favored of the Lord to have a wife who'd be willing to serve you and love you in that capacity and then that way. You, may think, you make sure you thank the Lord and you thank her uh, for the goodness that they both are. Here's the thing about God's commandments. If we look at them as a, as a criteria to meet, we're gonna fail. Our eyes are not on the right thing. But here's what the commands of God do. When we focus on them, when we see them, it either fuels our legalism, I gotta do this, 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 and this, or it causes us to see Jesus as he truly is. I need a savior. I can't do these things on my own. I can't do all of them. I can't meet this criteria. It's too stringent. It's too hard. The Bible never shies away from that. The Bible never tries to sugarcoat. The Bible never tries to pretend that these commands are not very hard. The Bible instead tells us that we have a savior who has met this criteria. Jesus, not just a man, but the very son of God who came to this earth, lived this, these commands, conquered these commands, fulfilled them, and now sits at the right hand of his father making intercession for us. So now the righteousness that we meet or that we have, that we need, is not our own righteousness, but the righteousness that is Jesus. We are enveloped in his righteousness and the justice of God, the wrath of God has been fulfilled by, by what Jesus has done. This is why Easter is so big for us Christians. It's, it's the remembrance of what Jesus did for us. And when you look at the commands of God, it should bring you back to that moment. Oh my gosh, Jesus did this for me? I am saved by what he did? I am so loved. I am so cared for. We can keep the commandments. Maybe not all of them all the time. We're going to fail. John said that previously. You know, if you shouldn't sin, but if you sin, this is what we got going on for us. Jesus, our advocate. We can keep the command, or we can attempt to keep the commands. Let's put it that way. Because we have been kept by Jesus. Our needs, our life are held in his hands. And unless his grip has loosened over the years, unless he's grown weak, you have not left his clutch since the moment you gave your life to Jesus today. We don't have to walk around. I don't know. I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if he cares for me. I, I'm sure there are things that we do that he is not pleased with. I'm sure that there are things that we do that maybe if he's physically able to make him cringe. Say things, do things, miss opportunities, I'm sure. But the Bible tells us that Jesus loves us so much that he's the author, the founder, the perfecter of our faith. It means he started it and he's working it and he's finishing it. And you are in great investment to him. He has put his son's life into you. I don't know about any of you, when you invest your time or your talent or your treasure into something, you don't give up right away, do you? Oh, I put all this money into this. It's, it's not working out. Oh, I'm, I'm just leaving. And you're like, oh man, I've got all this invested in here. I've got I've to make this happen. If you've got a business or if you've got a family, you're like, I'm not just going to cut ties and run. I got to, or cut line and run. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stick this out. This is my family, my business, my this, my that. I'm invested in this. And, and for God, it's the same. He invested his son in you. He was willing to send his son to die a sinner's death so that you could be forgiven 
and be counted amongst the sinless, that you might be the saints of God, the children of God. 1 John 2 and 5 says, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. This is why we love the gospels. I mean, we love the whole Bible. We love the gospel because we watch Jesus walk. We watch him walk with his friends. We watch him walk with his family. We watch him walk with his enemies. We watch him walk in the towns. We watch him walk in the farmlands. And we see how he acts and how he responds. When he's confronted, he doesn't get all agitated and get all passive aggressive and doesn't nitpick. He listens. He's kind. He's just. He's loving. He's re- his reactions are the expected reactions of us when we're in the same circumstances. When Jesus is standing before the, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the, and, the, and, the, and the powers that be religiously, they struck him in the face, they asked him all these questions, it says he kept his mouth shut. Stood before Herod, same thing. When we're persecuted, these are the, these are the examples we're given on how we should handle our persecution. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Jesus just, Jesus just had to wait for God's plan to play out. It wasn't about, but you don't understand, Herod. You don't understand uh, the Roman guy, Pontius, Pilate. You don't understand. I'm the son of God. You shouldn't be doing this. There was no need to justify his actions. He's just gonna wait it out, let God's plan play out, and then the world would see. You know, you're being persecuted for your faith, and we don't get persecuted much here. Oh, we get made fun of, and we're the, brunt of jokes by people who are dying in their sin. I don't really count that as being very serious. But then we try to respond in kind. Well, that's not showing them Jesus. That's showing them them. They have already done that. I like to let the gospel be the gospel. I like to let Jesus be Jesus. I don't have to be Jesus for the world. Neither do you. By this we know those who abide in him Ought to walk. I abide in Jesus. He's the vine, I'm the branches, I abide in him. How do I know that? Because I walk like Jesus. Or, or, or at least I'm trying to follow that path and his path might be straight and mine, mine looks like the family circus kid that's going along the path uh, in the comic strip. If you guys don't know what that is, go read the comics when you get home. He, he, he has his little path that's all, all over town. Mom says, hey, go get that book out of the bedroom and he goes into the kitchen and he goes into the basement and he goes into the attic and then he comes, finally ends up like at the doghouse in the backyard and, and that might be our path. But our aim, our focus should be on how Jesus walked. The Bible tells us he walked and what did he do? He kept the commands of God. He observed them. He, t- he took heed of them. And he did them. Now we, we can't fulfill that. Now, here's the great thing about being a Christian. We look at this and go, this is futile, but we're gonna do it anyways. Because we have the spirit of God in us. This is the difference. If you Anybody can look at the commandments of God, of God and try to say, well, I'm gonna try to do those. Without the spirit of God, there's no chance for them. Even for us, with the spirit of God, we're going to fail. What hope do they have? It's why I don't judge the world too harshly. Oh, I think, I think this sin is acceptable. Of course you do. You're dead in your sin. Why wouldn't you think that? It actually makes more sense for you to think that. But when the church does that and starts to trumpet some sin as being acceptable, 
then we have to start judging. We put on our judgy hats and say, no, nope, that's not what the word of God says. We don't have to keep, keep the commands of God. Well, the word of God says you do. So you choose who to follow this day. But as me and my household, going to follow the Lord, right? John 17 and 6 says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they, kept, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. This is Jesus praying to God the Father on the behalf of his disciples. And he'll go on to say that I'm not just praying for these guys, I'm praying for anybody who will call on my name, basically. I believe that what we have right here is a glimpse of Jesus the advocate. I believe that Jesus stands before God the Father today saying these words about you and me. I, you gave these people to me, I have kept them, I gave them my word, and they have kept my word. Were the disciples without sin? No. Peter was going to deny Jesus. James and John were fighting over who was going to sit at Jesus' right hand. Their mother was even involved to the point of trying to talk Jesus into making them in, you know, putting them in positions of power. They were quarreling about who was Jesus' favorite. They'd go out and they'd be unable to cast out demons because they were focused not on Christ, but focused on who knows what. They sin just like the rest of us. But how does Jesus present them to God the Father? These are my people. You gave them to me. I have kept them. They have kept my word. I gave them my word and they have kept it. See, today that's you. It's not just them. It's you. Jesus stands before the Father saying, this is my, this, this is my person and I gave, he was yours, she was yours from the beginning. You gave him or her to me. I gave them my word and they have kept it. And so today, if you, if you enter into the kingdom of heaven, you will enter in not because of the great things you did, but because of the great things that Jesus has done. I tell you, it alleviates a lot of the pressure to meet criteria and bullet points when I know that my relationship with Jesus is solid because of him. I fail, I falter, but he's holding me up. And even when I'm victorious, I was victorious because he held me up. I wasn't victorious because I finally got it. I was victorious because Jesus helped me. Jesus was there. Jesus was my power. Jesus was my strength. And today your hope is that you can keep the commandments because you have been kept by the Lord. Will you fail? Yes. Of course you will. Let's not, let's not be shocked by that. Let's let that kind of be like, okay, this is, this is who we are. We will fail and that's okay. It's not the goal. We're gonna do our best. We're gonna call upon the name of the Lord. But if we should fail, that doesn't excommunicate us from anyone or anything. What that does is brings us to a place that through the grace of God, we might repent. Lord, I failed. I should have done this and I did that. I should have gone left and I went right. I should have given and I withheld. I should have, I should have withheld, but I gave away. I should have forgiven, but I held a grudge. I should have loved, but I hated. And Lord, I want to repent of that. 
I was quick to anger. I have bitterness, but I want to repent of that. See, God's grace allows for that. It's not repent and receive the grace of God. It's receive the grace of God so that you might repent. Without God's grace, you won't repent. But you have his grace, so you can. Church, I listen to podcasts. I listen to different sermons. I read books. I don't think any generation of Christians, and I'm including the whole church in this, you, us, no matter whether you're nine or 90, there is no generation of church that has been told that they are loved by God so much, so loudly for so long and watched it not lead to repentance, which leads to holiness. Because I think that there are people who have lost sight of what it means to repent. If you have sinned, it's not just about asking for forgiveness. I mean, that's the first step. But realizing that the grace of God is there so that you can turn away from that sin. Whether it is idolatry or adultery or greed or covetousness or pornography or whatever it might be, you can turn away from that today. You, can, you are forgiven of those things today, not because I say so, but because the word of God says so. Life will never be different for me. And that's not what the word of God says. The word of God says you're a brand new creation, transformed in the same way a, a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. That's you. You were a sinner who died and entered into the proverbial grave and rose up as a child of God. Like a seed planted in the ground, you grew up into this beautiful plant. You know that you are loved. Let that love, let that grace lead you to repentance today. Let that repentance fuel the desire to know God's commands and fulfill them. Not because, not because you want to make sure you stay saved, but because he's worthy. But because he's our king and our God and our Lord and our savior. Because he's our father. Because he has these expectations of us. Let that be our aim, our goal, and our focus. You ever notice you, you gravitate towards whatever you focus on? Husbands, wives, you have either one, doesn't matter. Driving, turn your head, car goes with it. Because whatever you're focused on, just, you don't even mean to. You ever, you ever think to yourself, you meet somebody, and a really nice person tells you right beforehand, oh, they just got divorced, don't mention that. And all that starts happening in your head is divorce, 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 divorce. It's all you can think about. And I'm not gonna say it, I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say, it. hey, how are you doing? Are you divorced? I was like, oh gosh, I didn't wanna say that, but I was so focused on it. Or hey, you're gonna go give blood? Don't focus on the needle. I hate needles. And then you're thinking, and all I'm thinking is needle, 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 needle. Okay, I feel it, it's in my arm, oh my gosh. Focus on, my, I'm focused on the needle. I've learned if I focus on the clouds, the ocean, kids frolicking in flowers, I'm focusing on anything but the huge needle in my arm right now. Had to go to the dentist this week. You guys like going to the dentist, sickos? Nobody likes going to the dentist. Go there, Wednesday morning, 9 a.m., words root canal being thrown around, like, oh, no! Gosh, okay, we're just gonna, he's telling me what that entails, drilling into the tooth and trying to hit the nerve. And I'm like, oh gosh, just pull it out of my head. I don't want that. 
And then if you've ever had a cavity filled, you're like, okay, I can't, fo-. they're like, we're going to turn on the TV for you. So it can kind of distract you, but all you feel is like, you can't distract me from something that's happening in my head right now. That's just me. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you guys are like, hey, root canal, bam, I'm done. I don't even care. Not me, man. What you focus on is what your focus is. So if you're focused on not messing up, meeting a criteria, you miss the relationship with Jesus altogether. I'm gonna love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, spirit, strength. You're gonna find that these commands not only become easier, but you desire to fulfill them. Oh, Jesus told me to love my enemy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. To love those who are less than me or, 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 or less fortunate than I am. Uh, Jesus told me to, to, to go out and to, to serve the world. To, to not just be reclusive and in my own little bubble, but to go out and to be vulnerable and exposed to the world. And people are going to take advantage of me, but they took advantage of Jesus, so I shouldn't be surprised at that. Church, this life that we have is a privileged one. When you go on Facebook later and you see people who are disheveled and broken and distraught, Pray for them and understand, man, I've seen the light in the dark place. Thank you, Jesus, that you have delivered me from these things. And, and, And maybe you're going through your own dark time, but see, you have a hope this dark time won't last. That there is light coming for you. It won't always be like this. The Bible tells us one day we'll go to a place not made by human hands. We'll go to a place where Jesus is our God and we are his people rivers of flowing water and everything as it is to be or how, how it should be. And there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more tears, and there'll be no more pain. It'll be us and Jesus forever. I look forward to that day. I don't know exactly what that all entails. I watched something recently about heaven. It was a very humanistic point of view of heaven. Everything's perfect and everything's good. And nothing bad ever happens and yeah, we get that to a point, but it was all human-centric. It wasn't Jesus-centric. So the focus was on you being happy not being, without being connected to Jesus. That's not what we teach, and that's not what the Bible teaches. We will be fulfilled and perfected not because we go to a place that's magnificent. We go to a place that's magnificent, but we're connected to Christ. We see him as he is to be seen. There'll be no more mystery. There'll be no more hidden things. There'll be no more questions. Everything will be answered in him. This is our hope. This is, what, this is part of what makes us us. Let's pray together. Let's pray that we would begin living a life that we see reflected in the word. Do you ever just read the book of Acts and go, man, I wish the church still looked like that? It can. If we do it. The apostles, the disciples, the servants, they went and what did they do? They preached the gospel and they lived the gospel and they served others. And they went to dark places and brought the light of the gospel. But those doors are closed. Hey, Jesus opens those doors, man. And when they failed, they repented. And Paul says that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord won't be put to shame. Let's stand. Let's pray together. I want to pray with you. You know, if you haven't given your life to Jesus or maybe maybe you've backslidden, what that means is 
yeah, I gave my life to the Lord a long time ago, but, you know, I said this prayer and did this thing, and, but I haven't been living like that. Well, what did John say? If you abide in him, you ought to walk like him. If you think you know him, then you'll know his commands and you'll keep his commands. It's the evidence that we have. It's the tangible thing we can hold on to. If you're not there today, then today's the day to repent. That's all. Simple. Lord, I'm sorry. Change me, help me, lead me, guide me. Let's pray. Lord, you teach us in such a in such a perfect way that we are both sinners and forgiven. That while we were apart from you, you loved us. That you did everything possible to reconcile us back to you, not just to wipe our slate clean, not just to give us better habits, but to completely transform us and reconcile us to you. And now that we belong to you, no one and no thing can separate us from you. So Lord, I, I, I pray and know, Lord, that there are those people here today that need to repent, that need to repent of how they view your commands, how they view uh, what you've said for us to do and not to do that we, and myself included, Lord, we, we've made a list of what will make us holy rather than focusing on you and your holiness. That we've bypassed the relationship with you in order to go back to the law, which your servant Paul tells us was never meant to save us. It showed us that we need a savior. Today, Lord, we need that savior. Father, for those today who maybe have never called on your name, your word says they won't be put to shame if they do today. That today is the day of their salvation and they can give their lives to you. They can find forgiveness and reconciliation in you. They can be connected to you again. And their life can be completely different. For those who have maybe backslidden, gone back to old ways, old lifestyles, Lord, word doesn't say that you let go of them. It says that they're prodigal. They've been wasteful with their with their salvation and Lord today is a day to redeem it to come back to it to repent father I pray that you'd open our eyes to your holiness not to see it as something that's dangerous or scary or so stale Lord but to see your holiness as the place of pure and unfiltered joy you told your disciples your disciples that we would enter into your joy and our joy would be full so we pray for that, Lord. For your church today, Lord, may these words ring out. May you continue to preach to your people's hearts even as they leave this place. And may they be changed today because they met you, not because they were guilted into doing anything, but they felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit and gave their lives back to you. And may they begin to see that fruit, Lord, that comes from only following you. May you be glorified and exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I love you. Thank you for hanging in. What, what's up? Oh, we're going to take communion now. So uh, our deacon and deaconess, Harry and Gladys, are going to come forward with the elements. If everybody can come forward, if you're physically able, um, go ahead and come on up. Um, whoever's in the back, if you could get Ethan, he asked to be a part of this. I feel like 
We always need to be taught. I really do. Some of you might find this redundant. That's okay. Bear with me. This morning, uh, I was preparing the matzo and the grape juice. And I took, the, I took the cracker and I crushed it. Ethan's like, why'd you do that? And I said, well, when Jesus broke bread with his disciples in that, at that last supper, he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. This cracker, I mean, this, this is matzo. Any of you guys can go buy this at, at PNC or Tops. PNC's not here anymore. Tops. They sell it at the grocery store. It's just unleavened bread. But it's symbolic. It represents the broken body of Jesus. And then he asked, this is just grape juice, right? It's not really wine. I said, no, son, it's not wine. There are some folks that struggle with alcohol, so we don't want to cause them to stumble. Grape juice and wine are start off as the same thing. Um, hey, Soph. But Jesus, and then, and then he said, this represents Jesus' blood, doesn't it? I said, yep. This grape juice is symbolic of the blood of Jesus that's been, um, that's been shed for our sins. The Bible tells us this is not a, a magic thing. This does not save you. This does not forgive you. This is a time of remembrance. Jesus told his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. When we celebrate the Passover, we are celebrating the broken body the shed blood of Jesus for our sins. It's to remind us, not to bring us to guilt, but to remind us of the love that he has for us. This broken matzah, this squeezed grape juice, it's so much, it means so much more than that. If you're not ready to take communion today, that's okay. That's a good thing to, um, to refuse this morning. If you don't feel ready, the Bible tells us to do so. Oh, oh, you got bins? Okay, you're gonna have to do this. There you go. Ben gets two. All right. So if you aren't ready for whatever reason today, maybe you have, maybe you had a hard time repenting today and you're just not at that place, don't feel bad that you're not doing that today. There's a lot of respect for people who do that and decide I'm just not ready. Um, but for those of us who are, we're gonna pray. We're gonna remember the broken body, the shed blood and rejoice. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you today with these basic elements. Matzah cracker, grape juice. This unleavened bread without yeast, Lord, which your word says was a symbol of sin, Lord, that is your body without sin. Nothing to puff it up, nothing, nothing to make it something that it's not. It's broken in the same way your body was broken. It's scored in the same way that your body was lashed upon. And your word says that all that was done for our sins, that was our deserved judgment, Lord. But your son Jesus took it for us. Today as we eat this matzah, it was... It should be our body, but instead it was yours. Lord, this grape juice, simple grapes, but we only get this juice by crushing them. Your word says that your heel was crushed as you crushed the head of the serpent. You conquered sin and death, but in doing so, your blood was shed. That this blood that was shed was, was greater than the blood shed by the lambs over the countless centuries before 
that this blood wouldn't just cover our sin, but it would cleanse us of our sin. As we take these elements, Lord, we remember what you've done and we rejoice knowing that you've done so out of love, that for you, it was worth it to shed your body and blood for us. We thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead. Lord, you are good. And you are rightly to be praised. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for being in this place. Thank you. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. We will see you Wednesday, either here or at the Kessler's house. Um, don't forget to get your kids because Justin and Kristen are officially off the clock at this point. <laughs> um, don't forget your baby. Yeah, don't forget your baby bottles next week. We'll see you then.